and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing the Bollywood musical Aja Nachle, the first two episodes of Gallivant, and the musical Wicked. Hello and welcome to episode 92, Podcasting the Musical. The Musical! I'm Alex and <laughs> my favorite musical is Hades Town. I'm Freya and my favorite musical is Into the Woods. I'm Macy and my favorite musical is Les Miserables. And I feel the need to inform our darling listeners that during the musical interlude that we started the title with, Freya was performing the jazz hands. I was indeed, because you can't have the opening to a musical or without a podcast in a musical hands. without jazz hands. That's true. So, we are three red-headed fantasy authors slash musical theatre performers. And I want to warn Macy right oh. now that she has three, count them, three allowed uses of singing in this podcast. And she has already used up one no, of them. I, I strongly so. disagree. It's alright, Macy, if you run out, just like wave to me and I'll take over. There we go. Hey! Anyway, so we're talking about musicals today, but before we get into that, I'm suddenly regretting a lot of my life choices. <laughs> Did you not get this in Dublin when you had both of us singing the confrontation in your ears? No, I enjoyed that. That was like road trip shit. And we sang the entirety, uh, or either I didn't sing the entirety of Come From Away then because I was hearing it for the first time. Um, yeah, yeah. And then there was that time when we were at the country house and we were like all, all 11 of us in the country house were like belting Les Miserables we together. We had good times. In the kitchen. Yeah. 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 For yeah. yeah. Because nerves. But what my point is that there's a time and a place, and perhaps podcasting is not that time or place. Before we get into that argument, what are we reading, fellow serpents? Before, during, after, in the middle of. All right. Freya. All right. So. I think last episode I talked about one romance novel about a baking competition that I had been reading, and I have now read another romance novel <laughs> about a baking competition. <laughs> so I read an arc of the new Lucy Parker romance novel, and this one is called Battle Royal. This is an enemies to lovers romance about two people who own rival bakeries, and one of them is very, very classy and sophisticated and fancy, and the other one likes to create things that have sparkly rainbow sugar unicorns on them and beautiful rainbow cupcakes, and they meet when she is a competitor on the baking show, of which he is a judge, but most of the book is set a few years later when they are now both judges on this baking show, and they are also in direct competition to produce the cake for a royal wedding. Mm. I was going to ask which of them is the princess, but it sounds like they're just serving the princess. Yes, mm. so there's some royals involved, but there they are go. sort of tangential. <laughs> I think it's the, be it's the beginning of a new series of hers about mm. people who are tangentially involved in the palace life. <laughs> okay. And it's beginning with mm. people who are making a cake. Uh, and so if anything I have just described sounds like it would be your cup of tea, it probably will. It's a very charming romance. It's got some really nice things to do with family dynamics and what you want out of your work and your ambition. The romance itself mm. is pretty straightforward and really sweet. So Battle Royal, very good. Your cup of tea or your slice of pie. I did say the word sweet, you know, just dropping, dropping that in there. <laughs> anyway, it's not quite out yet, but check it out when it does come out because it's really good. Um, then I Devoured Summer Suns by Lee Mandelow, which is also 
not out yet. Sorry, I just I was going through my pile of e-arcs this uh, fortnight, and every time I try to describe this book, I just end up spitting out a long series of words and genres. So I would describe <laughs> it as fantasy horror, southern gothic, dark Ooh. academia, with fast cars, and the most repressed queer yearning you will ever read. Like, the narrator is convinced that there is no way he could be queer, but he doesn't really know why his narration keeps on fixating on people's <laughs> collarbones and the way men hold their hands around their belts and things. Anyway, the actual the actual premise of it is that um, it's got a lot to do with grief as well. So it's about a young man whose uh, best friend dies mm-hmm. when he is at this Southern University. He had been preparing to go and join his friend, and so he goes to join just after his friend disappears and finds this kind of ready-made like academic circle and group of friends who do illegal car racing <laughs> and there's a lot of weird folklory horror stuff going on i sped through it it's amazingly written it's really page turnery because it's got a mystery driving it and it's just fantastic really southern really good. gothic fast and furious yeah yeah with like lots and lots of sweltering summer heat because it's set in Tennessee and lots of like really creepy undead, like having a nightmare and waking up in the embrace of like a revenant that's maybe your dead friend and maybe not extremely cool. Queer yearning zombies. It's a thing. Yeah, basically. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, I had been meaning to get into reading some of Lois McMaster Bujold's fantasy. Mm. Uh, Because I've only ever read the Vorkosigan books by her. So Mm. I decided to start the series of novellas that are about Penric and Desdemona. The first one is called Penric's Demon. I loved that one. It is so charming. So it's about a young nobleman who is on his way to his betrothal and then accidentally gets a demon. So he just stops, as one does, stops to help a nice old lady who seems to be dying. She, in fact, does die, and then the demon, which is the collected memory of nine or so souls who have been the previous hosts of this mm. demon, gets transferred to him. Whoops. And nobody is quite sure what to do about that, let alone the poor 19-year-old boy who now has seven old women, or nine or twelve, I can't remember, uh, commentating on his <laughs> life and teaching him how to read old languages and having very strong opinions about how pretty he is. It's seriously charming. It's the beginning of a series of novellas, and I immediately went and ordered the two books that collect um, the first, I think, ten or so in the series. So I was delighted by that. That does sound very, very cute. Um, meanwhile, Macy, um, I took the I took a vacation, and by vacation I mean I just didn't go to work for a week and stayed in exactly the same place and did more or less the same thing. That things. is the new definition of vacation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something, something like that. But um, I discovered that I had very little brain. Oh Um, my god, I'm just seeing the numbers next to these. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we'll get to that, Freya. Don't spoilers, spoilers. Um, So I first read Harrow the Ninth, which Alex very kindly marked up for me so that I could read it uh, because it jumps up and down with dire enthusiasm on my my two triggers. Um, And now I can read it because I can skip the bits where it does that, which was great. It was a good book. I Does anybody understand what happened in that book? No. I, I mean, vaguely. 
What are you asking about like, specifically I, without spoilers? I don't know what happened. We, we can talk about this later. I was very confused by the okay. end of the book about what exactly had gone down and where they were now and who the oh, person that. was. No, yes, I under I understand that. Yes. I've read I've read Harrow the Ninth twice okay. now because I had to read it once for myself and then, once and then I reread it once to annotate it for you. Well, I will yes. ask you later so that we don't spoil our dear, dear, dear readers, dear listeners. There we go. Yes. Um, yes. And other than that, I just like laid on my sofa and read fic um and i went through my bookmarks to put down some of the longer ones that i read in the past week and a half and then i added up some the numbers. of the longer ones oh yeah this isn't even all of the longer ones um uh, like this is only the ones that are only like novel length and longer there were plenty that were like fifty thousand words too and a number mm. of novellas um yeah so freya do you want to read the final number just to display your full horror well, the final number, which is now we are being informed, not even the total number, because when Macy says, oh, a handful of them were 50k, she probably means there are another whole two novels to be added to this oh, total. At least. But the, of what she has recorded here, 1.4 million words. Yeah, well done, so Macy. I'm going to okay. speed run through well, a handful well of fix, um, which add up to 1.4 million words. First of which is Red Azalea, which is a Yi City OT3 from The Untamed in which Zhu Yang doesn't actually end up, uh, actually manages to save Zhao Xingchen in Yi City before he dies. Then there was The Changeling plus the Armistice series, which is a Harry Potter AU by Anna B, um, in which Ginny goes to Slytherin instead of to Gryffindor, and it's from her point of view, so women doing things. I then also read World Ain't Ready, which I think is possibly the high school Les Mis AU that Freya loves. We couldn't quite figure that out by idiopathic smile. It's been a little while since I have read in Les Mis fandom, but there was a while there when I read a lot. And I definitely mm. remember I did read this one and like it. Yes, it's great in which um, Granter trolls a high school in Hjolras, um until he falls for him and there's fake dating, which is great fun. Um, mm-hmm. I then read Survival is a Talent by Shanna Storyteller, which is a Harry Draco um soulmates fic in which they realize they're soulmates in the second year and become secret friends for a while before actually making it romantic it's a long Ooh, fic i might need the the link to that one yeah i have this good. like i like it weakness for very 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 long draco harry it's so. really long and like soft it's good um and then i read rotten work also by shana storyteller which is a Jin ling centric fic in which he mm. notices that everybody is neglecting his uncle and absconds with Wei Wushan to make use of his administrative skills, um, which is a mood. So he doesn't have to do paperwork anymore because uncle does all his paperwork. Mm. And that's 1.4 million mm. words. Nice. Good for you, Macy. Very good. Very good. <laughs> good for you. Uh, this week I worked on some knitting, which meant that I was listening to podcasts, uh, and I chose to get caught up on Campaign Skyjacks, which, uh, you may remember I was absolutely obsessed with last summer. Uh, it appears to be just like what I listen to during the summer. Uh, and it is kind of a little bit steampunky, a little bit like based on the music of the Decemberists, and it is about some... Uh, sky ship pirates and their adventures. And we did the and first very episode. Queer. We did. One of we did do the first episode. Yes, we did. I forgot about that. Uh, so you know Campaign Skyjacks very well. There was a remnant Good. and his jaw fell off and it was great. 
<laughs> it was very funny, yes. Uh, a whole weekend at Bernie's thing. Uh, I wrote a bit of fanfic. I'm writing a demon AU mm. for Hands of the Emperor, surprising no one. Uh, and I am, uh, last night I started reading uh, Whiskey Jack, also by Victoria Goddard. Uh, and uh, that is the next book in the Greenwing and Dart series that uh, she writes, which is, uh, I think I told you about that last time, which is kind of very like Connie Willis's To Say Nothing of the this Dog. Was the and like, with the bicycle? No, that's uh, The Return of Fitz Fitzroy okay. Ingersoll. <laughs> Uh, no, this one is the one where it's like uh, cozy ah. village mysteries and they're like running around and, and like solving mysteries and things. Um, the main character, Jemis, just like has so much happen to him <laughs> all of the time. And he started making this joke that his life is like a melodrama uh, because he's forever like getting caught in blizzards or like like stumbling upon this weird cult that has like sprung up in his village or finding out that... Um, his father was a traitor. No, wait, no, he wasn't a traitor. Oh, what actually happened to his father in the war 14 years ago? And so on and well, so forth. Well, we do, it's we do enjoy stuff. a self-aware protagonist yep. who yes. possibly yes, becomes aware yes, that somebody in charge of him is wielding the tropes very well. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's it's uh, a whole lot of fun. Uh, highly recommend. So we now have to endure a whole episode of Macy attempting to sing Macy, I will mute you in post. I want you okay. to know. I will sing three, three times. You get three times. Me. And how about we just? How about we begin by just yes. talking about some musicals because we are at fourteen minutes music. almost, and we may have to go a little long because Macy and I have so many we feelings. We have some feelings. Uh, just yes. a little bit of feelings. So. First tent pole. Dun 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 dun. dun. That doesn't count. No. Um. Yes, no, it does. Not <laughs> singing. There were no words in that. Uh, the first tent poll we're going to talk about is the source of my favourite karaoke song, which the darling listeners can guess and write in on postcards, um, which is Wicked. Yay. Uh, and Wicked is a musical based on a book, based on a film slash musical slash book. So it's like excessively yeah. meta. <laughs> excessively transformative. <laughs> excessively transformative. Like, could you stop? The clay is getting really tired. Um, Wicked is the story of the Wicked Witch of the West, um, known to us from The Wizard of Oz. And in this, she is a young girl named Elphaba who goes to magic school and has a like popularity contest makeover sequence and then accidentally turns some monkeys into flying creatures and her loved ones into inanimate creature object things. So she's yes. having a time of it, really. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's it's very much a villain origin story. Yes. Uh, like, mm. like slash villain redemption. But unlike something like Maleficent, where mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. villain does get redeemed, and oh, they're all happy at the end. There's not. This isn't. Isn't a particularly happy musical, oh, especially near not. the end. Mm. They're like she's still the villain in the eyes of everybody else, apart from the audience and the but people who love her. a little bit. It's a little bit Wei Wei Xian, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> it is very much about like no one mourns the wicked. It's very Wei Wei Xian. That's number two, Macy. That, okay, that one counts. But like, it's it tells you right up fucking front. Um, in the first sequence on stage is a bunch of munchkins cheering for the because. death of the Wicked Witch of the West. Mm -hmm. And it's they mm -hmm. sing, you know, no one mourns the wicked. And they say they tell you this again and again and again. 
um, you know, wicked is in the eye of beholder who tells the story, which is a theme that we're somewhat (laughs) fond of on this here little podcast. And this is a story that does change depending on how you view it. So I, when I first heard this, I just heard the soundtrack. And I didn't even bother to look up on Wikipedia what the plot of the musical was. I just heard the soundtrack over and over and over. And I was like, well, this is great. But quite dark because she dies at the end. And then I saw the stage musical. Right. I was like, oh, oh, she doesn't die. Still dark, though. Like some parts of it darker than the soundtrack would suggest. And then I read the Mm. book and was like, oh, okay. They took took out 80% of the darkness. (laughs) I was just about to ask if either of you had read the book because I read it when I was probably like 15 or 16 or so. And I was like... This is like dark, though. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. you you start and like a grubby sort of gritty. Yeah, you start off with finding out that Elphaba is born because her mother is a drug addict who this dodgy man plies with green spirits in order to seduce her, um, and yeah. so Elphaba is born green. And then at the end of the play. Spoilers for Wicked, which has been on Broadway for like 20 years. You see that that man was the wizard yeah. of Oz. Mm. Who's getting like, people hooked mm. on drugs in order to sleep with them. Yeah, and for a very mm. like perky musical, some of the stuff in it, just the darkness gets dropped in kind of sidelong. Like when she explains why Nessa, her sister, can't walk. Mm-hmm. She's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, my dad was so scared about the fact that I came out green that he started like feeding my mother weird Poisons. drugs while she was pregnant and it brought on an early labor and so Nessa can't walk and you're like okay that's just a little bit of nice All right. it's a whole lot just, we'll just move it's on from lot. that let's so I think yeah. that do we think that musicals go dark a lot I think you can get away with a lot of mm. darkness while dressing it up with singing right not necessarily dressing yeah. it up I think you can slide a lot in I don't think that musicals often go dark. I think that musicals go dark about as often as other literature goes dark. So you have like the same (laughs) spectrum of like happy ending versus non-happy ending. Um, I think that there's possibly more room at the angsty end of the spectrum because um, I think a lot of playwrights think that to be taken seriously, your play has to have at least a bittersweet Mm. ending Mm -hmm. rather than like a, a... happy ending or or unless it's like an outright comedy shakes fist at the concept um, of literary merit yes exactly 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 that's what reason, it is um I was yeah. say, the reason i think that wicked seems particularly dark when you're watching it is because if you look at the marketing right. you would not expect it to go that dark right. like it's oh it's based on the wizard of oz you know this would be a child-friendly <laughs> musical about some witches and a sparkly fairy princess uh-huh with a nope. song about turning popular yeah yes (laughs) and he does do the very musical thing where act one you could kind of get away with that and then act two is like here's the darkness which is an extremely into the woods and hamilton kind of thing to do yeah yes for sure and yes uh macy's dot point in all caps there is no straight explanation for this shit bracket oh my god they were roommates with regards to the central Oh, I love the central relationship. I remember I did yeah. seek out fan fiction for the Elphaba Glinda relationship uh-huh. and stumbled across sometime in my late teens one of the first OT3 fanfics oh. that I ever read. Oh, and of I course, that makes yeah. sense. Why did I not think of that? Because they're in a love triangle with yeah. Piero. And I can't remember what the exact premise was, but I think it was something like Glinda is obviously left as the ruler, um, but in this one, instead of Elphaba and Fiero going away at the end together, Fiero, I 
think stays with her as like a power couple, but mm. they have like secret meetings with Elphaba, who is now like a spy. That's like slash... excessively your fic. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very like <laughs> yes. secret meetings and like they're all secretly in love, but they have to pretend that they that she's still an enemy of the state. It clearly imprinted very hard. Yes. Like, dear listeners, this is so much a Freya thing. Oh, it's all so over single use weapon. It's all over the mm-hmm. Snow White book. It's uh, yeah, amazing. but yep. it is a yep. very very queer musical for a very straight musical. Yeah, I think it also depends somewhat on how they play it, which, okay, let's talk a little bit and then I'll let us move on about stage musicals and the interpretation of music and script as a transformative act. Yes. Because mm. um, the Glinda and Elphaba, when they're the two actresses from Glee, are different to the Glinda and Elphaba when they are a different set of people, right? The chemistry is different, the way they play things, the way they use the tone. It's mm. it's very cool. Stage musicals are super cool because every time you see it, it's a unique instance of the script. Yeah. And then mm. you've got the fact that like Les Miserables, the students in Les Miserables are in the musical. They're there to be chorusy, but they haven't got right. that much in the way of personality. Like Grantaire gets a song, but the fandom for Les Mis is very much yeah. like, ooh, Andres and Grantaire. And I've seen a, quite a few different interpretations of that done on stage until you get to the point of like Ramin Kamenlu and Hadley Fraser doing it as like longing touches, <laughs> hands on necks, sharing these like charge glances in a concert musical, no less. Not even like a properly acted musical, like Lame is a concert musical. Right. right. And you can tell that they were just like, fuck it, let's play up the gay. And that particular and that particular show went all in on that. Yeah. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. I want to talk, can we talk very briefly about the echoes and motifs thing before we move on? Sure. I wanted wanted Macy to talk a bit about this so we can get some Macy musical knowledge. Yeah, and I might visit this a little bit later on as well. But one of the things that I noticed, particularly in, um, particularly in Wicked, is that they have this little phrase of unlimited that echoes throughout the whole musical. They they have a thing, particularly mm-hmm. for Elphaba, where she'll sing something and then in, a, in another song, she'll sing the same phrase with the same notes with a completely different inflection that changes it. So even in mm. Defying Gravity, she goes, unlimited, together we're unlimited. And it's about the two of the, the main couple being together. And then later on, when she's having her breakdown and kind of giving up and deciding to die, at least in the eyes of the people, she sings, mm-hmm. I'm limited on the same notes. And I'm just like, I'm so mad. This is where you should me. have stayed with your girlfriend and then you would have been unlimited. I will not count that as one it of your examples. Citation. Because it was okay. a citation, yeah. exactly. Because you had to <laughs> sing it in order to demonstrate what was right. happening. Yeah. Yeah. So that I don't notice the, the note <laughs> motif so much, but I definitely notice the clever use of words. And my mm-hmm. favorite mm-hmm. one of this in musical is... In, sorry, my favorite one of this in Wicked mm-hmm. is the first song of Fierro's Dancing Through Life contains a lot of very dark foreshadowing about the fact that he's going to get turned into the scarecrow. Uh, like mm-hmm. his two main lines are, life is painless for the brainless. Yep. Where the whole yep. point is yep. he gets turned into a scarecrow so he can't feel pain when he's being tortured. Woohoo, kids Yay. musical. Um, and the other one, uh, they're talking about the Oz Dust Ballroom and he says, if only because dust is what we come to. And it sounds like he's talking like, YOLO, we're all going to die. But he turns into sawdust yeah. in the yeah. second mm. half. Like, <gasps> this is a, it is a very cleverly written musical. And I don't pick up on the musical motifs, but I do pay attention to words. And every time I hear them, I'm like, ah, oh, yes, foreshadowing. Yes, I have yes, seen yes. this one in person. 
it is one that I think is even better if you've listened to the songs a few times because stage mm. musicals it can be a little bit hard to pick out the words when you see them live. Yes, I agree. but definitely listeners as well if you have the chance to see Wicked live. Oh, it's, it's fantastic! And because it's it's magical, and you've got yes. stage magic, like yes. it's the kind of thing that really Wild. lends itself to the, yeah. You've got these you know flying monkeys, and you've Glinda got spells being done. <laughs> Glinda's in a bubble. Yeah, like it's got these great visual motifs of magic, which yes. big stage musicals are really good at because this idea of stage magic yes. and yes. musical magic. Mm. When so, you wish upon yes. a dream. Mm. So fantasy yes. stories make good musicals. Do. But speaking of Shall that... Shall we move on to the next one? Yes. Yep. All right. So our second tentpole, taking a little bit of a swerve away from darkness... And but towards, into fantasy. Into fantasy, but towards the silly, Still in fantasy. let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> is the musical TV show Galavant. Yes. Which yes. is a brief TV series. I think there are only two seasons both of which only have about yep. eight or nine episodes. Yeah, and they're like 20-minute episodes. Yeah, and they're very short. Yeah, Because, I mean, short. you can't maintain this level of, of original songwriting across a 26-episode season. Um, yeah. About a brave knight called Gallivant and his <laughs> adventures. <laughs> and we, we, we basically we watched the first two episodes, so we'll really sort of talk about those as the temples. Mm-hmm. And in the first two episodes, you get the setup, which is that Gallivant had a lady love called Madalena, who was cruelly stolen away from him by King Richard, who wanted to marry her in a very, like, Princess Bride kind of way. Yep, yep. Uh, mm-hmm. But when he went to bravely try and rescue her and burst into the wedding... She was like, nah, actually, I quite like the idea of being a queen, so bye. And not being a peasant. I don't really want to be a peasant. peasant. Yeah. Like, not being, I'm quite like, covered in pigs. Not being, yes. I'm wearing a really nice dress. Like, <laughs> She's so valid. Uh, I, I love, love her. her. I, we all love Madalena. She's uh, terrible, but so I love her. Galavad descends into depression and alcoholism. <laughs> yeah. And basically, like, Relatable. lies on his bed for the next year and a half. Uh, and then the story kicks off when the princess of... The kingdom that King Richard had conquered, Princess Isabella, arrives and says, you have to come and help me retake my kingdom. Um, He's got my parents captive. And by the way, the queen really, really regrets not marrying you and really wishes you would come and rescue (laughs) her again. Isabella is lying through her teeth. Yep. But she really does want to rescue her parents. She has been sent by King Richard on a sort of like hostage mission. Yes. And yes. so Gallivant and his squire Sid and Princess Isabella. <laughs> Sid is the uh, only competent human. I Sid, love yes. him too. There's so Sid many good characters in this show. <laughs> yeah. And so they, they set off to go and, quotes, rescue the queen. And yes. so you get all of these scenes with the three of them on their like misadventures getting to the palace, which happens like mid-season one, and then you've got a lot of scenes at the palace where King Richard is attempting to woo Madalena and make her actually like him instead of just like being queen. Yeah. And meanwhile, she is shagging the jester, <laughs> and she's she is, just like, being like a horrible bitch face. all the time. She's so bitchy. She's <laughs> like, I her. have taken a vow of chastity, but jester, come explain that joke to me. <laughs> yes, we have to go and work on the jester's new stand-up set extensively in my bedchamber. Uh, she's living her best life, honestly, and I love that for her. Um, towards the at the end of of season two, spoilers for Gallivant, she becomes like this dark wizard lady. <laughs> Amazing! Like, I love I, that for her. I think that if there had been a season three, like that would have been like sort of the main antagonist plot is like her being mm. like the dark lord because that was kind yeah. of weird. Anyway, she was going as anyway. well as being yeah. a like comedy 
fantasy. This is actually a musical, and so yes. you get quite a lot of musical numbers. And I really liked that the opening musical number is a very clear play on the opening to Beauty and the Beast. Oh. It's like, oh, we're all peasants in this town, and we're going to sing about the one really cool person in yep. the town. Yep. <laughs> because, like, that's the point of having a group of people providing exposition. Like, you've got a Greek chorus... Yep. TV shows do it like like what the Untamed did it with like random exposition peasants. Yes, the peasants who just turn the up in inns. <laughs> and if you're going to have gossiping peasants, you may as well have them deliver their exposition in song. In song. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Have you so, seen? There's there's like a whole bunch of like pastiches of that song as well on YouTube. Uh, the Beauty and the Beast one about Belle, and they're great. Um, mm. We'll look some up and give them to our scribes. Very good. Yeah. So Gallivant is sort of like fanfic, both of. The whole entire fantasy genre and also Mm. musicals themselves, because like a lot of times in musicals, like songs are used for particular structural purposes, uh, which I put a dot point about that a little bit later on. So we won't talk about it here, but like it knows what those song structures are. And so it is like doing fanfic of those structures. Mm Um, like the exposition song, for example, um, it's like, this is an exposition song and you know, it's an exposition song and we're not trying to hide the fact that this is an exposition song. There was yeah, like yeah. a training montage song in episode training two montage that sang song. about being a training montage song. Correct. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's very self-aware, but it's also pure musical because the songs are not diet. Okay. Is it diegetic or diegetic? Diegetic. I think. Di- so the non- songs are not diegetic. Like you are stopping, you are breaking into song. Apart from the fact that this is a self-aware musical, nobody's really commenting on it. The music just happens. Mm, Right. And if you're going to make a TV show that's also a musical, you have to decide whether it's going to be diegetic music or not. So Glee is the main one that people think of if you think of a musical TV show now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that most of the songs there were like, oh, we are doing a performance in Glee Club. But some of the songs, sometimes they weren't. But no, it was like a complete mess. Um, And the other one that I think is a little bit more recent that people would think of is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which if you haven't watched is a very, very clever show. Yes. Uh, Rachel Bloom, the creator, knows everything about musical theatre and is extremely self-aware about the genre. Um, And the songs in that are very much like it's a musical. People aren't aware that they're Mm -hmm. singing, but Mm -hmm. the songs are used to put forward a point or advance the Mm. plot or a character note. Yes, that makes sense. And I think it's going to be really cool to talk about in terms of our last tentpole that that stuff as well, because I think that does Mm. something different again. But Mm. I will say, uh, Gallivant made me think a lot about A Knight's Tale. Yes, yes, yes. yes, Because of like the the, uh, anachronism kind of. Yeah, it's kind of in the same like, this is definitely a medieval question mark, England question mark that definitely existed question mark, question mark. Right. Yeah, and the jester. Oh, Shrek, there's a couple of you know? scenes where later in season one where the jester is definitely doing Paul Bettany, like to a quite <laughs> marked way. And I was like, "Bless you, great I see you. <laughs> Yeah, but it's true. I, like, and it reminded me, and it's obviously also commenting on both Camelot and Spamalot, mm-hmm. which yeah. are also musicals. And Camelot is a comedy, like it's a very silly musical. And then you've got Spamalot, which is a comedy satire of Camelot and is even sillier because it's also a Monty Python, like a takeoff of a Monty Python movie. Yep. Uh, but you're right, like A Knight's Tale was the one that I thought of as almost being more commented upon by this particular mm-hmm. thing because you can do that. You can do – and you can get very silly in a musical because right. the genre kind of expects it. Like you can get very anachronistic. You can get self-referential. Yeah. 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 You can you have can a lot break of the physical comedy. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And, and there's a lot that's... of – 
Like, we talk a lot about, like, things, pieces of work being in conversation with other pieces of work. And I think that sometimes when you're writing novels, you're meant to pretend that you're not. But musicals never pretend that they're not. Musicals know yeah. that they're in conversation and they, they show you. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. And I think that's really yeah. cool. Have, yes. you, have you seen um, in the In the Heights movie yet? I have not, no. <laughs> there's this one, and it's obviously it's, it's Lima Miranda being incredibly self-referential, <laughs> but there's this one scene where someone's on hold and the whole music is um, King George's song from Hamilton, like without words. But like, it's like the whole, and he's like, ah. <laughs> That's very funny. That was like, that's very clever. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Shall we move on to the last one? I saw a dot point I wanted oh, to yes. ask about. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was me. Um, I, one of the things I wanted to comment on about Gallivant in particular is that one of the things it's doing is commenting on masculinity mm-hmm. in a way that, I think, again, you can only really get away with in musicals because a musical by its very nature is kind of thought of as something that is a little bit queer-coded or a little bit unmasculine because it's all about flamboyance and the arts and, you know, real masculine men aren't that into musicals. Uh, And this one is doing something with, like, the kind of man that King Richard is and the idea of Gallivant as, like, the the masculine ideal, but also Gareth, who's the Mm -hmm. king's, like, Guard slash bodyguard, best friend, yeah. bodyguard. <laughs> they have a conflict. Um, oh, he's like he's like a pub bouncer. Yes, yeah, like a rough city. I can't remember what the name of that actor is, but he is basically playing the same character that he's played in a lot of Guy Ritchie films. Mm. Like he's basically doing like Cockney rough, right? But in yeah. a musical. Uh, and and one of the things that I like about this is that it allows you to see all these different types of masculinity mm-hmm. um, while kind of gently poking fun at the idea that there are certain types of men who are real men because all the types of men are still going to drop everything and like hop around and dance in a circle and sing it and do <laughs> right. a musical number because it's a musical. Right. You know right, what right. that actually made me think of a little bit, which is my favorite terrible teen movie, which is High School Musical 2 and the I Don't Dance bas- baseball yes. sequence. Yeah. Where you have the extremely queer coded, but it was a Disney movie 10 years ago, so he wasn't allowed to be queer, Ryan, um, (laughs) showing off for the straight boy that he can totally play baseball just as well as he can. So the straight, like, I'm a masculine dude high school student would not just play baseball, but would also come and dance because dancing is not unmasculine mm. yeah and no matter right? who you are in a musical you're going to end up exactly. dancing by the end even if in like so you have this funny dichotomy of like oh i'm super butch and i always act butch and i will also dance in a way that is completely not butch but i'm not even aware of the contradiction and musicals um, really like setting up commentary on why why you should be singing and dancing like musicals love that which i think mm. is a good segue to our final temple Yes, which I loved. Oh, good. Yay, I'm so glad. Um, it made me final... so happy. <laughs> it's, so, it's so so much fun and just like so happy and cheerful. Um, the final tentpole, dear listeners, is a Bollywood film called Aja Nachtle. And this was the first Bollywood musical that I ever saw in my life. I saw it first when I was like 14 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so much fun. It is about this woman, uh, Dia, who uh, has a fabulous popular dance studio in new york and then she gets a call uh from back home in india to say that her mentor is dying and she needs to uh come back right away she has mixed feelings about this because she swore she never went would go back but (laughs) this is her mentor and he's dying so she has to go um when she gets there it's too late he has already he has already died but he has left her this video message to um like 
basically gave her a quest, right? Um, Gotta have a quest. Save right. the yeah. Save the save, theater! Save, save the, the, the theater! Yes, there's this there's this beautiful outdoor theater um, that is now sort of in ruins, and uh, the local like town mayor. I'm not sure exactly what his position in the government was. He's planning on tearing it down and building a mall where it used to be, uh, and so like Dia is going through this whole thing. Like he's clearly supposed to be the bad guy, except he's but being he can't like be bothered. <laughs> He can't be bothered and he's being, like, incredibly reasonable the whole time. Basically, yeah. like, because, okay, the town probably would economically benefit from having a mall there. It's not an yeah. unreasonable thing to do to tear down a ruined theater to, that no one is using and no one wants yeah. to, like, add something useful to the town there. That's not unreasonable. And also, if she can prove that it is useful and that it will be more useful to the town and that it's wanted, then oh, sh- sure, she can keep it. And so he's like, I think he's okay, actually being get... more reasonable than he needs to be. More re- yeah, and like, sure, like... put on put on a show and I'll I'll assume that it's worthwhile. Like, I, I don't think you mean that. I yeah. think you're just... Flirting with her. Yeah, 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 exactly. You just think she's pretty. <laughs> Which she is. Um, she's very pretty. She's very pretty. So uh, he's like, all right, well, the, the demolition is scheduled for two months from now. So you have two months to put on this show. And um, if it's popular, you've got to then... You've use local people, not use, just fly use in local with New Yorkers and fly the fuck out again. Which also says something about how his concern is the economic benefit of the town. Right? Right? Like, what a what a ethical thing to request of her. <laughs> use locals. Like, give something back to the town, right? I uh, think uh, Alex I love is him, currently actually. writing the... Uh... Hands of the Emperor Ajanachle AU in their head. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so I, I can it. see it happening. They uh, naturally have to put on the musical. So you have the frame narrative, which is uh, this save the theater quest. And then it yeah. shows you the entire story of the uh, musical that they put on using these locals and the process of auditions and Mm -hmm, and rehearsals mm -hmm. and teaching them how to dance and of course like none of them are trained and none of them have done this before in their lives but i just wanted to say how much did you love i really really loved the like audition Mm -hmm. song yes so much fun just because it was like this whole montage process right they're like running around on this like bicycle driven really colorful cart with speakers throughout this whole city and everyone in the city is judging them horribly and they're like come audition dance with us it'll be fun it'll be fun i like that they had the, the big obstacle to overcome was not necessarily just like oh evil corporate overlords it was right. everyone legitimately hates you right. <laughs> because she's seen as a traitor like she right. left this small village went to new york you know left the person she was supposed to marry broke her parents hearts and yeah. now she comes back and is like oh you aren't using the theater oh that's so sad quick everybody get together and everyone's like what are you like what are you yeah, doing you big city jackass what are you, you know, doing you left us for new york what are you doing here so it's not just like oh i must get the people together to do a musical it must it's a redemption arc for her mm-hmm. in the eyes of the town mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which i really liked but what i also liked about this film is that it doesn't end with her going and i will give up my whole entire life right. that i built by myself in in new york as a single mother a single yep. immigrant mother. Yep. I built like this amazing, famous life in in New York. Um, she doesn't like give that up to like move home. She just like finds her parents, who she has been 
separated from and like abandoned she reconciles with them and she takes them with her back to her amazing life that she built herself and like maintains her agency and i think that's actually very cool Mm. of her and i think yeah and she she hands over the dance school and theater to two of the people that she Mm -hmm. has like made her proteges throughout the movie so she's giving it back to the people of the town right. rather than swanning yes. in from New York and be like, this is mine now. Yes, yes, which fits in kind of with the theme that is of the show, which is said by her mentor, the art doesn't need the city, the city needs the art. The city the needs art. the art, right. yeah. There are so many musicals that have that structure of bringing joy or art back mm-hmm. to a community mm-hmm. or using art and joy to change a community. So Hairspray mm, does that, yeah. Foot, Footloose does that. The town where dancing is banned. Yes. yes. Like, like very on the nose, but there you go. And that's something that musicals love doing, as I said. Like, they love commenting on the power of music, like, mm. to yep. bring people together, to change people's hearts, to make people fall in love. I really liked the, the romance between the two young people right? who play the leads. They were cute. They were very cute. <laughs> there were like four couples in this, maybe five. There were so many like couple, like little couples yeah. and they were all fairly cute. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them was like, you know, one of them being involved in the musical to show his wife that he's not boring. Oh, that was really cute. I liked that. That was cute. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But like, and this, this one is doing something. And again, I don't know a lot about Bollywood. So I've only seen this and Bride and Prejudice, which is mm. also extremely transformative as, as musicals go. Um, So I don't know a lot about the genre conventions, but this was certainly doing something that is extremely musical, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. in terms of the structure of it, in terms of what they're commenting on. Uh, The opening number of it in her studio in New York is a direct homage to the opening of a chorus line mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like of like all these people like the aerobic like the slightly 80s yep. aerobics where that they were doing very chorus line um, and the structure of it is one of those ones where the music is not is sometimes again like part right, of right. Sometimes the story and sometimes, sometimes performance not. like they they genuinely are driving down the street singing, singing. to the people around them mm, and the musical is a musical yes yeah right yeah and I think I think that is a Bollywood thing, that mixture of the two, but I'm not sure. Alex, have you what would you say? Uh it depends on the film. Like mm-hmm. there's there's times when it is diegetic and there's times when it is not. Right, when so, it's invisible. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And like my favourite version of that in a non Bollywood film is probably Cabaret or Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. And they are both mm-hmm. again. So Cabaret is about performers. Again, musicals love being about performers. Just like uh, Litvick <laughs> loves novelists. <laughs> so every performance in Cabaret is a musical number going on in the club, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. also a commentary on what is happening with the characters right. um, in the story as well. Like mm-hmm. it's very pointed and it's about sort of like the relationships and things. And then you've got Moulin Rouge where – Again, they are putting on a show, which is such a musical thing. Um, And so a lot of the music is rehearsal. And this is the music that's going in the show, but some of it isn't. Well, I think we should talk a little bit more about musicals as speculative fiction, because I see that we have... But I wanted to hear Macy's John Wick theorem. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) What is this? What is this? Macy's John Wick theorem of Bollywood? Macy, explain. (laughs) Okay. So I was watching this a little bit and I was trying to reconcile it because I haven't, again, watched much Bollywood um, with like, there are these these dance sequences and they're so long. They're really, really long. And Mm. I'm like, what are they doing? What are they trying to accomplish? And then I sat back and I'm like, Macy, you're being an idiot. 
the the dancing is the point this yeah. is like a john wick fight scene yeah like yeah. you go and you look at a john wick fight scene that's nine minutes long and has two fucking horses in it and a new york taxi cab and you're like this like the the movie is a vehicle for the nine minute fight scene it's not about the, other way the vibes it's about <laughs> yes. the vibes macy but it's not just the vibes it's like it's um it's what we say so often um or haven't for a while but like you go into a fiction looking piece of fiction looking for a meal looking for a particular emotional experience and one of the things that you go into a movie like this for is the experience of the dance sequences yes yes yes. and that's my john wick theorem of bollywood very good it's not where i thought (laughs) this was going but cool (laughs) and a good point yes well all right let's move on then so yes please you were saying the musical as speculative fiction would you like to talk more about that i did not put this dot point here i know i did but i feel like i've been talking a lot Okay, so I will start us off. My point here was that the musical itself does fall within the bounds of speculative fiction because of the suspension of disbelief. Yes. And it's exactly there what you said. There are definitely rules. You there are rules that are thinking... like musical world rules that are yeah. nothing to do with actual world. Yeah. yeah, and you but you can also break those. Like people will go in and <laughs> say, okay, you know, I'm here for the nine minute dance sequences. But if then, you know, somebody stops and breaks the fourth wall, oh, that's okay. And if there's magic, that's okay. Like you can get away with so much because <laughs> there is a certain <laughs> amount of putting reality aside to a big extent when you walk into a musical compared to a different type of theatrical production. <laughs> You know, that's a really good point because I'm thinking like people are so much more tolerant of fantastical elements or or fantasy or things like that, like as a mainstream audience than most mainstream audiences are. Like if you ask the mainstream people, like how many of you like fantasy, like a lot of people will raise their hand, but not everyone will. And some people are like, oh, those are books for kids, right? But like when you put a musical in front of them, they're willing to see it like as a musical and oh there's like magic and it's not like the same quite the same thing for them it makes it okay because it's fairy tale rules right 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 right? yeah yeah but also like there are a lot of people out there who will say oh i don't like musicals that's true for a similar reason that people will say i don't like fantasy like they think of it as something a bit silly Mm. yeah and like especially for me and i guess i would assume for macy as well walking into a musical is accepting a certain level of sincerity in presentation (laughs) That we, are prepared, that we are not prepared to accept in other things. Sure. Because it's part and parcel of what a musical is. Like, some, there, some musicals are so excruciatingly sincere, and I can put up with it because it's being sung. I have, I have a question, I have a question, I have a very Go. important question. So are you saying that if I sing about my feelings for you, then God. you'll be okay with it, and you won't, like, blush and hide your hand, your face in your hands and say, Alex, please... We are too Commonwealth to handle this. I mean, if you go to the effort of composing a song... That's true. I will accept a composed song song from you, Alex. Okay, okay. I I will will sit through the whole thing. Yep, yep. Challenge accepted, says Alex. (laughs) When you walk into a theatre for a musical, uh, certainly in London, but I also got this sense in New York as well, um, there's a social contract that, Mm -hmm. like, you're there on your own. Even as you're with everyone else in the audience, you're not going to turn to someone and like notice that they're crying and like make a thing of it. Mm. There's like a degree of privacy. Mm. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yes. You know, it's like being on the subway in New York. <laughs> <laughs> but like the interaction 
there is that there is a personal contact between you as an individual and what's happening on the stage and the fact that there are a couple hundred other people in the room who also have that contract simultaneously lends it a weight but is also not directly relevant to that connection between what's inside your head and what's happening in front of you and what you're absorbing mm. right Freya I don't know if you experience this as well but um I think I, I mean I think of that as more sort of just general theater Right, it's etiquette. But there, is a, but there is something very immediate about any kind of live theatre. Yes. And musicals especially, like something so big is happening, but it is fleeting, which I think is You know is, is nice. what I heard somewhere, and I can't remember where it was, um, so someone correct me if you remember where this was from. Um, someone was saying the first performance of Peter Pan um, was... It, Peter Pan as a musical is fairly... as like a play is fairly old mm. and it was like mm. a very whimsical like for kids type performance and so they didn't anticipate anybody when you there's a part in it where they say clap if you believe in fa- fairies right everybody clap and so they had planned like the troupe had planned the first time they put it on they told the orchestra to put down their instruments and be ready to start clapping because they didn't anticipate that the audience was going to clap for the fairies but everybody did and it made the main actress who was playing Peter Pan start crying and they had to take a surprise intermission. <laughs> oh. I mean Peter Pan is one of those shows where yeah like you're right the stage play is older than the book. Right. And like the stage play came first. I and didn't it's know one of those that. Ones where a suspension of disbelief is enormous because Huge. Peter Pan is traditionally always played by a grown woman. Yes. Mm. Uh, and the they do the doubling of characters. So Hook is always played by the same person who plays Mr. Darling. Uh, Nana and the crocodile are always real people and usually the same person, uh, mm. like in a suit. And stuff. <laughs> There's all these, like, it's a one very, very old stage play with a lot of very, it's almost like panto tradition around mm. it, about <gasps> how it is staged and the suspension Man, of pantomime. disbelief that is required and the wires <laughs> pulling people in. I oh, love it's it. So good. Oh, stage stuff, man. Stage uh, stuff, so good. And before we move on to the next dot point, I just wanted to make a little brief mention of <laughs> within the musical as speculative fiction to honour the fact that through the hard work of mostly Sean and Maguire, I believe, yeah. uh, <laughs> the movie uh, Eurovision, the story of Fire Saga, is now on the Hugo ballot. The- <laughs> Have you guys because seen it? it is- Yes. It has elves. Many it elves. does have elves in it, sort of. Well, it's weird. Well, no, it's, okay, it here's the thing. It's about. It's exactly as weird as Eurovision is. Sure, exactly. Which is like, very it's weird. perfect. It's perfect. And it's, and it's a musical about people putting on a musical show uh... in which everyone about and about the power of music and going back to your hometown mm-hmm. and oh, yep, yep. lovely. Uh, that's anyway. Why didn't we Temple Fire Saga? Ah, because we needed to tentpole. Like, okay, there's so many things we could tentpole. That's true. There was a, we also talked about tentpoling, like, musical episodes out of Buffy or out of The Magicians or out yeah. of... What was the, the help, the hospital show? Scrubs. Scrubs. Had a yep. musical episode. Yep. But we didn't. Or but Farscape. I wanted to talk about... Yeah, right? Uh, musicals as transformative works. Mm, yes. Right? Because mm. I think that particularly the musical episode of a show is a hugely transformative action for a show to take. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of I fan fiction say- of itself. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's um, doing something cool and interesting and playful. Mm. Like, you mm. cannot do a musical without it being in some way playful. Right. Even mm. they miss. You can't do it and take yourself seriously, right? It's like a little well, bit you, poking fun at yourself. 
If you did, you'd be doing opera. That's true. <laughs> and, that's true. And it's often a transformative, like a, no, sorry. It's often a speculative show yeah. that will do mm. the, mu- the, the musical episode because you can have a justification for it. So in Buffy, right. there's a curse. Right. And in Scrubs, which is not... Scrubs is a speculative show. show. Scrubs is a fe- speculative <laughs> yeah. show. But it's like, yes. like it's somebody is hallucinating it. Like, you know, yeah, it's yeah, medical, yeah. you know, and there's, and the magicians just completely has no genre rules at oh, all. God, so the, the magicians, magicians, I would not surprise that they did not, that they had multiple musical episodes because yes. fuck it is the rules of the magicians. That's a mood. But we, we have, I'm going to run real quickly through, I had a list of, yes. of things that we transform into musicals because mm-hmm. it's very, very rare that a musical is itself an original piece of fiction. It's not impossible, but it's rare. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I was saying we have transformation of history mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. with Hamilton, Come From Away. Somebody six. put six. Which I, I put don't six. What's six of? Six is a musical about the six wives of Henry VIII. Amazing. It's presented, it's a concert, it's presented like a rock concert where they all get to sing about themselves. The costumes are incredible. I need to look some clips on YouTube. It's really good. And then you can have musicals as transformative of books or stories, things like Wicked or Les Mis or Oliver Twist, which are. Baby's yeah. first musical. Mm-hmm. It's often the things that you wouldn't think of. Like, yeah. I would look at Charles Dickens. No, or, right? Like, for Charles example, Dickens. anything by Victor Hugo and think, you know what this needs? Dancing. Again, as Victor Hugo cannot be um, made worse by dancing. Um, no. no. <laughs> and then transformation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. is a mm-hmm. thing more than once. We have Joseph. We have Prince of Egypt. Um, yep. We have, I mean, they're, they're, they're specu- they're, Jesus Christ like, superstar. Honest, speculative stories on a big scale. Yeah, yeah, Jesus Christ Superstar is a very boppy musical <laughs> with very dark content. Oh, yeah. Joseph is a fucking riot. Like I love Joseph. It, I love Joseph as well. It was for a boys' school I feel and, like, like, no one in it can sing. No, no. And the thing is, if you, if you put someone in front of Joseph as their first ever musical, oh, God. it would seem to be reinforcing all the bad stereotypes about musicals. I think you have to watch it when you already love musicals so that you can see what it's doing with genre, but it's deeply silly. I mean, anytime you have a list of like 32 different colours that they just chant on a single note, I'm like, but also, Andrew Lloyd Lloyd Webber decided that there would not be a coherent musical vibe. He would just make every song a different genre of music. Potiphar is Elvis. Why? Yeah, yeah. Put a fat is Elvis. Yeah, yeah. Macy, Macy, are you going to finish your list here? Oh, okay. <laughs> I have the last dot I, I didn't put this myth. Yes, myth in town. I think Freya must have put this because she. I didn't put it, but myth and fairy tales also, also because like pretty much every Disney film yeah. is a musical, is a right? Musical. And they're all mm. based on like fairy tales that we know. Yeah, yeah. And Into the Woods, which is my favorite musical, is mm-hmm. like meta fairy tale. Right, right, it right, meshes right. together heaps and heaps of fairy tales, and then it turns around and starts commenting on the nature of fairy tale they feed the narrator to a giant like oh i love that musical so much and that's what it that's like the the weight of transformation that it can bring to bear right Mm. is a musical can take something and snap its spine and reconstitute the entire skeleton until you have this chimerical creature Uh, and i just think that's neat Oh yeah, and Into the Woods gets away with it because the first half of it is about fairy tales, and so you're like, oh yep, yeah, this is good. I'm accepting this mashup. I have suspended my disbelief, yeah. and then it goes hard in Act Two. <laughs> and by that stage, you're like, hang on, I thought we'd established the rules, and sometimes like, nope, no rules. 
Let's you know go. What, you know what I think is cool is Macy using the word chimerical in a sentence. Well done. I'm genuinely impressed. Um, <laughs> it's a good word. It's a good word. It is a good word. Uh, we only have a couple <laughs> minutes left, and I want to uh, talk a little bit about music itself as a vehicle for motif and theme. Ooh. Macy, <gasps> okay, you're our musical I'm gonna person. Skip, I'm going to skip to the second point and talk a little bit about Les Mis, and you're going to have to put up with some more singing, I'm afraid, Alex. Well, um, you've done well. I, I have done. You have one point left of gratuitous singing. I'm going to use that for like five different things. It's going to be great. Um, (laughs) Alex is like, I'm dubious. I'm I'm going to edit both of them out. (laughs) So the the cool thing that I always come up and yell at y'all about like listening to particular musical cues, like the thing where Yaskia's theme is what plays when Geralt and Yennefer have sex, which I think is hilarious. And every time you point out something like that, we say... That's so clever, Macy. We didn't notice that. We'll take your word for it. You could yep. be lying to us about half I of could. the movie. <laughs> um, but I will, I will um, start then with one that Freya will definitely know about. So Les Mis, um, Fontaine is the mother of Cosette. Um, and in the first half of the song, she's, the first half of the musical, she sings a song about how she was loved and betrayed by a man which left her pregnant and kind of ruined her life. Yes. And her song is I Dreamed a Dream. Um, and the same tune from I Dreamed a Dream comes back in the middle of One Day More as the love song between Cosette and Marius. And Mm -hmm. so the musical picks up the tragic love song of the mother and transforms it into a triumphant bond between the daughter and a good boy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A good boy. The original good boy. (laughs) He's he's a good boy. I will give him that. Like... In the book, he's a mild fuckboy. Like, oh, okay. Mild. Like, they're all of Just les enfants are mildly <laughs> fuckboys. Um, but now I'm trying but to... in remember. the musical, he is a, a very good boy. Yes. Do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. How can I live now we are parted? Yes. Is what the Cosette and Fontaine are saying, whereas what uh, Cosette and Marius are saying, whereas Fontaine is saying, um, he took my childhood in his stride, but he was gone when summer ends. Autumn and so came. it's like the exact same thing, but it's it they have opposite, opposite effects. Right. Mm. Um, and I just think that's a really cool thing that you can almost only do in a musical. Yes, it is one of my favorite things about musicals. Because you do it in books as well, like obviously right. echoes of yes. words, echoes of phrases, echoes of motif, mm-hmm. and in musicals you can do it on multiple levels. Yes, in the meta text. In the meta text, and you can do it in the background while something else is happening. You can use a visual echo as well. Like you've got the text of it, which is what I notice. You've got the music, which is what Macy notices, and then as soon as you see the spectacle of it being staged. You can add in like two more layers of echo, depending on how you're staging it and how yes. people are being arranged and what a dance number is doing. Which I never notice, but then the I, the next, I notice the dance a lot. But then you can also use the music to cue to things which aren't in the musical, which are mm. from somewhere else, and that's the one that I wanted to mention from Hamilton, where the the King of England's song "You'll Be Back" goes, "You'll be back." Soon you'll see, you'll remember you belong to me. And it's just hugely Beatles, mm. which oh, is, you know, the Beatles English song. invasion. Yeah, because yeah, because the whole point of Hamilton is that um, the, it's so referential to yeah. a lot yeah. of uh, famous and influential hip-hop artists and rap artists. And he draws on 
uh, musical themes and motifs from a lot of rap and hip hop, which I had to go through the genius annotation to recognize because <laughs> I don't know anything about rap and hip hop. So just going through the annotation, I was like, that's very clever. Hmm. Yes. Excellent. Very clever. Uh, and of course he does exactly the same thing. And I'll be back by saying now I'm drawing on a completely different. Right. This is alien. The white this is wrong. Music. <laughs> Shouldn't be here. It has no yes. place here. And because people expect the use of recurring themes mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. musical cues in in a musical you can then play with that even more so one of the cleverest musicals that i know of is the groundhog day musical which was by tim minchin because the whole point about groundhog day is you're living the same day over and over and over the stuff that is done with recurring musical themes and Mm. how angry the character gets at the recurring musical (laughs) themes is very funny because it's in the movie that they're transforming as well he always wakes up to the same song playing yes on the radio and like, so they do that with these versions of uh, songs that are played and how the musical cues get tweaked every time he lives the day slightly differently. I think you would appreciate it, Macy. But I think mm. if we maybe have time, Freya... Oh, okay, we have a very short amount of time Very left. short, please. please. Alright, well, I wanted to say that music, talking about musicals and what they can do with speculative stories and what a <laughs> stage production can do, I wanted to just slightly scooch sideways a little bit to opera and ballet, yes. mm. which are related to musicals uh, and often doing similar things. Like you can get away with a lot of magic in a ballet, and especially I was thinking of Swan Lake, mm. which has a fairy tale story at its heart. And the amount, the suspension of disbelief if you are going to see a ballet is incredible because there are no words. You just have to accept that the story is being told entirely through dance. And so what people are doing with their bodies is actually speaking as well as dancing. And I think that's kind of super cool when you completely pull away the words because you're relying on a journey to happen inside of your audience's head um, that kind of assumes a certain cultural commonality, a certain amount of knowledge, at least about how a Western fairy tale sees things, like mm. that curses happen, right? Mm. That that you you have this, this call and response. Uh, and I wanted to abscond with I promise I will keep it quick Alex Macy's fun facts um I wanted to mention symphonic narrative Mm. um Mm. where there's this genre of classical music and I'm using classical and the colloquial meaning here because a lot of it is more modern than that um that's pieces like Peer Gint right or Carnival of the Animals or Peter and the Wolf which is definitely modern Mm. where an orchestra tells a story Sometimes accompanied by a narrator who will stand there and tell you the story. But it uses musical motifs for characters and then has the characters fight or interact in the music purely through these very clear lines. Like Mm. the... Is Peter. And every time you hear that, you know Peter is marching through the woods. And as a student of music, you get taught to read story in things that has no story in it, that's purely emotional weight, and like Freya's saying with the dancers, just a movement of tone and harmony. And what a narrative symphony does is it takes that and makes it far more obvious and far more explicit so that it's accessible for people who aren't trained to do it. Like, you can hear it and anyone can hear the swan from Carnival of the Animals and get an idea that it's about this this emotional this this swan Mm. yeah see for me it's musicals played on hard mode because i can accept musicals you have the songs the dance the words ballet you have 
the music and the dance. And yes. sometimes you might need a little like, here's what the plot is and a right. certain understanding of the physical language of ballet. Yes. Symphonic narrative takes away everything <laughs> else. <laughs> I don't do well with them. What we're coming to find, dear listeners, is that Freya and Macy could yell about music and orchestras and symphonic and musicals for ever. And I've been uh, sitting here go- mouthing, wrap it up for the last Alex two minutes. sitting there making threatening gestures at Apologies their throats. Like, Alex. I will find you. I know where you live. And the joke's on you. You can't get to Australia to kill Freya before this episode runs long. <laughs> everybody thanks for joining us for this episode of be the serpent a podcast of extremely extremely deep literary merit this episode ran a little bit long but let me just give a shout out to macy who was very restrained in the amount of singing she included uh thank you for not getting the podcast slammed with a copyright claim or takedown notice we did it <laughs> Uh, anyway, Macy teasing aside, we have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence, on August 25th, we'll be discussing depictions of the glamorous and dreadful authorial life. If you want to prepare in advance, one of the tentpoles for that episode is The Unstrung Harp by Edward Gorey, a must-read for every writer. So, if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations. Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com or at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And by the way, I have the results of your audition here. Congratulations, you're being cast as excessively charming chorus dancer number seven.